right, you guys. Three weeks ago, I shared a story of some persecution, a demonic attack that I experienced uh, very much from being so much on social media this fall. And I talked about how I reached a point in November where I just felt like I was at the end of myself, of my strength. And I told you guys about how all this crud that was being spoken and directed at me, like I started to believe it. I started to accept it. It started to kind of reshape me in a negative way. And at the peak of Satan's accusations, um, I retreated. I went to a safe place. I gathered my family, and we went to Galveston, and we got away from it all, much like all of us did last week at Freedom Weekend, much like all of us are doing right now as we gather together in this safe place, away from the distractions and the voice of the enemy. And you remember, you've heard me tell this story a couple times, I was standing on the beach and I was just really feeling all of the stuff, I was feeling overwhelmed by all the tough in my life, and you have tough things in your life, and at that exact moment, I get this text from a friend. Justin, the scripture that God had me send you last year was read today in women's Bible study in the student building, Zechariah chapter 3. The accuser is silenced, Justin, and no amount of negative, uh, negativity directed at you over your 21 pilot sermons or your prayer cards or anything else will prevail. His work through you will have the last word. And I've shared with you that those declarations, those powerful, beautiful, like, amen words, they, the accuser would be silenced, that the devil will not prevail, that his work will have the last word. I, I read those words, and while I did not feel like they were possible, while I did not feel like I deserved them to be true, I was willing to believe them. I was willing to put my faith in them. And I believed in that moment, these words are not just for me and my situation right now, they are for my student ministry and where we're going in 2020. So I want to talk more about Zechariah chapter 3, not just how these words, God's declarations are for me, but for us going forward. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, great time to take notes if you brought your journals or you have your white card, but as I read these again, not just for me, but for you. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, and he was making accusations against Joshua. That's me and you. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. I rebuke you, for I have chosen Jerusalem. This man, this woman, this me, this you, it's like a burning stick that I've snatched from the fire, that I've rescued. Here's the first thing we need to know about 2020 and what God has to say to you and to me and to us. His desire for us this year is to rescue us from the devil's accusations. Why? Because God loves you. Because God loves me. And that's enough. But there's more. It's because God's chosen us to be a light to the nation. And it's because the devil is just a turd. He's just a bully. And God's like, enough. I'm going to rescue my son. I'm going to rescue my daughter from the fire. And I'm going to do something great with them. Second thing we need to understand comes from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Joshua's clothing was 
filthy as he stood before the angel. And so the angel said to his attendants, his other angel buddies, remove his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, look, I have removed the stain of your sins. And now I am clothing you in these rich, new robes of forgiveness. And I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I want to be dressed like that. I want to be clothed that way. I want in the spirit realm to feel like I am wearing rich, new robes of forgiveness. And God wouldn't promise it if it wasn't possible. And because I feel like he's declaring it over us for the year, as it's already happened, I, I feel like all we need to do is just embrace this truth, that God's desire for you and me in 2020 is to rescue us from the emotional effects, from the spiritual effects of the devil's accusations. God wants to set us free so that we don't continue to make decisions based on our shame or our fear or our self-hate, because aren't those the results of the devil's accusations, of listening to garbage 24-7 about how small and weak and pathetic we are, that we have this emotional, spiritual baggage, and God is saying, I want to cleanse you from head to toe. And the third thing I feel like God is saying to us today in Zechariah 3, comes from verse 5, this priest says, you know what, they should also place a clean turban. They need to wrap his whole head they need to place a clean turban on his head. And so they did so. They placed a clean priestly turban on Joshua's head and they dressed him in new clothes all while the angel of the Lord standing by. God's desire for you and for me in 2020 is to rescue us from the mental effects of the devil's accusations. God's desire for you and for me this year is that he would give us right thinking, healthy thinking. This transformation that we read about that God's offering to us is a two-step process. Step one, we need to step away from wrong thinking. We need to take the initiative and recognize this is not good for me, and we need to step away. Joshua was filthy with false beliefs about himself. He was dirty with self-condemnation. Even as I say that, I wonder if some of us in this room are like, man, me too. That's how I feel. Thoughts like your garbage, your useless, you are only and forever defined by your mistakes. That's how you feel today? I feel that way sometimes too. And I just want to declare to you in the name of Jesus, those thoughts are not true. And God is telling you, he's urging you, he's coaxing you, step away from those thoughts, because that's no way to live. That's not the life that I promised you. That's not the life that I sent my son to die for. Step one, step away from wrong thinking. Step two, step into right thinking. God doesn't call us away from stuff. God doesn't remove stuff from us just so we can stop this thing. He also does it so we can step into something better, so that we can receive something greater. Step out of wrong thinking and step into right thinking. How's that look like? Well, say no to the accusations that you're small and you're worthless. And say yes to the encouragement of the word. Say yes to the encouragement of Jesus. Say yes to what your pastor is declaring over you today. 
Say no to self-hate if that's how you're feeling. When you're having those thoughts of self-hate, like literally say, in Jesus' name, no. And instead say yes to self-love. Say yes to you are every single one of you fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique in all the universe. You are God's special possession, his treasure. Say yes to those thoughts and no to all the others. Say no to the devil. Say no to him and say yes to Jesus. I was watching the movie Arrival over the Christmas break. Has anybody seen Arrival? It's the big like objects that come out of the sky. It's a sci-fi movie. Anybody seen it? Nobody? One. All right. You got to tell everybody about it later. All right. Excellent movie. Won some Academy Awards, if I'm not mistaken. There's this quote in the movie Arrival that I loved. It's these two super smart doctor people and they're having a conversation and one of them named Ian says, I heard this crazy idea that if you immerse yourself into a foreign language, you can actually rewire your brain. And the other doctor responds, yes. It's called the Sapper-Whorf hypothesis and it's the theory that the language you speak determines how you think and how you see the world. It's a true thing. It's a proven scientific theory that has been established now, so no longer just theory, that the language you speak determines how you think and how you see the world. I could say a lot about that just in a worldly sense to demonstrate that it's true, but I'm going a little further. Let's address this theory spiritually. When we immerse ourselves in the language of the devil, which is immersing ourselves in constant lies, because that's all he speaks is lies, in constant accusations, finger pointing, when we immerse ourselves in the constant negativity that the devil is just doling out 24-7, the result is that we start to see ourselves and the world through the lens of insecurity. Isn't that true? We start to see ourselves in the world through the lens of hopelessness, of defeat, of suicide. And many of us spend a lot of time there because the devil's voice is the language that we are being force-fed 24-7. But when we immerse ourselves in the language of God, the language of continual truth, God doesn't say anything unless it's 100% true. When we immerse ourselves in the language of encouragement, the language of I love you and nothing can stop that, I'm here to rescue you completely and totally. When we immerse ourselves in that language, we start to see the world differently. We start to see the world through the lens of awe and wonder and hope and victory and life. You guys, it transforms the way that we think in the way that we see the world. Immerse yourself in the language of the devil and negativity. You're going to see the world through negativity. You immerse yourself in God's words, in God's language, and you're going to see the world in a whole new way. During Freedom Weekend, we acknowledged that our generation's primary hurdle to embracing God's language, to embracing a change of thought, to embracing a change to how we see the world, is spelled out right in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this prophetic word about this later time to come, and it says this, a time is coming 
when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, and instead they'll live only for their desires. They'll scratch their itching ears by surrounding themselves with people who approve of their lifestyles and who only tell them what they want to hear. And they will reject the truth that you have to offer because they prefer the sound of fables and fantasies. This is the age that we are living in. The age that was being prophesied 2,000 years ago is right now. We're living in an age where we are, where the world around us is encouraging us to obey our temporary emotions, our obsession with comfort, and our fixation with fantasy. I mean, just think of the most popular programming in television and movies and games. It's, it's all fantastical. It's all vampires and werewolves and fantasy. And I, I like those kinds of movies too, but I mean, it is just getting out of control. So as we worshiped Friday night, we were asking God, what is our problem in this day and age? What is the thing that's helping this wrong thinking really get into our minds and our hearts? And while we were asking that question, our good friend Andy Zabo is up on stage and he's doing this prophetic painting. God's like giving it to him. He didn't plan it out. He's just up there painting and this image comes out. And it is this image that God gave to Andy of this demon with these little itchy ears, and he is vomiting the distraction of our day, the distraction of our age all over us. And as you can see, there's cell phone cords and an iPhone at the bottom and ear pods and likes and little love marks for hearts and XXX. There's all these distractions that are coming, and they're in the form of technology. So we ask the question, After seeing this, how many hours a day do you spend on your device? And we talked about how MIT has published a study that says that the average American spends 10 hours a day on their device. That's half, no, that's more. That's 70% of our waking hours, the average American is looking at a, a false reality, at a device. And yeah, sometimes we need to, but how much do we not? Um... And if you want to find out, like, how much time am I spending on my device, you can just open your device, go to settings, and look at screen time. And as I was contemplating this, I did that. And I pulled up my screen time, and I was, like, embarrassed to see, like, my average is seven hours, seven and 26 minutes a day looking at my phone. Seven and a half hours that I could be spent talking to my family, playing with my kids, enjoying nature, but instead, I'm just, like, zoned out playing my little blocks or looking at social media or wondering what he's doing or what happened good for her and comparing myself and feeling insecure. All the junk, seven and a half hours a day. And I stated last week, and I'll state again, eight to ten hours a day, that's not device use. That's device abuse. That's idolatry. Just for clarification, what is this word, idolatry? What is the idolatry of our day? Well, in Romans chapter 6, it says, idol- it says this of idolatry. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Now, you can be a, ch- a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to right and reconciled life. We're the slave of whatever we choose to obey. One of my students 
spoke up on Wednesday night and said, yeah, I'm fasting from YouTube, from my YouTube channel. I deleted the whole app off my phone, and it has been so hard because every day, multiple times a day, unconsciously, I just pull up my phone and start opening it up and hitting the YouTube icon because I'm so used to doing it. That's how ingrained it is in me. But the, the link is gone, so I keep opening up all these weird apps on my phone, like on autopilot, like that's a problem. And God convicted her, and she's changing the way she thinks about it. But could you say the same thing? I mean, do you just autopilot go and check this, that, or the other out? And how much life is that really giving you? An idol is anything that replaces the one true God. And the most prevalent form of idolatry in biblical times was the worship of images. The worship of images was the most prevalent form of idolatry in biblical times. And man, isn't that the case today? Psalm 135, 15 through 18. I know the slide says 38. It's 35. The idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And they have mouths, but they cannot breathe. And those who make them and those who trust them become like them. Personal question between you and the Lord. Important moment. Take advantage of it. Just ask the Lord, man, how am I doing? Is there an idol in my life? Just between you and him. Is there an idol in my life? Are you relying on a device for your value and your satisfaction and your peace and your pleasure? And your, are you relying on a thing more than God? Are you relying on a behavior to satisfy you or to escape from pain more than God? That's an idol. Are you relying on your, the fact that your parents have a lot of money in the bank? I used to rely on that all the time. Even at 44, I still think about it. Oh, are they going to leave me some money? Like, what are you relying on? What are you counting on in life to satisfy you that's not God? Because if you got anything, even if it's pride yourself, that's an idol. Anything that we depend on for our safety, satisfaction, or our sense of self that's not God is an idol, and it hurts us. And Scripture just warned us that people obsessed with idols lose the ability to hear truth, see truth, and speak truth, and the result is that they become lifeless. Let's see some examples of what that looks like to see if we are living in an age where we're losing the ability to hear see and speak truth, if we are becoming lifeless. And again, your idol could be anything, but talking about the possibility that it's a device, let's look at our first example, how idols might be keeping us from hearing truth. Check this out.
cats. Man, that was a great save. That dude's drone's battery was dying, and he's running all along the beach, and then he crawls up those rocks, and then he bolts down the jetty, and then he leaps into the ocean with all these jagged rocks to save his device just in the nick of time, and then he gets out just as this wave smacks up against the rocks. Question. Are our idols, are our devices causing us to potentially hurt ourselves? Because here's the truth that that guy could not hear in that moment because he was so obsessed with his device. His obsession with that idol, with that thing, had deafened him to what's most important. Is that drone worth his life? Because I have heard story after story after story in the last few years of people in a situation like that, leaping into the ocean to save a thing, a machine, that wave, that one that he barely got out of the wave of, it could have easily smacked him head against the rock and killed him right on the spot. My wife grew up by the ocean. She has this phrase, you never turn your back on the ocean. That man risked his life to save a drone. Even the definition of what a drone and just an empty, mindless thing It is crazy to me how we risk life and limb, that we act so foolishly over our things. I've watched videos of people leaping into the ocean, jumping in front of traffic to save their device that they dropped. But that's not the only foolish behavior that we participate in for the sake of these little devices. Other foolish behaviors to protect our idols, our devices, we lie to our parents about them, don't we? We hide things from our friends as a result of them. We actively ruin relationships to protect our vice, our behavior, our piece of equipment. But that thing that I was moved most by this video is that, man, when was the last time that you or I ran after Jesus and risked our life to get close to him? When was the last time we went all out like that dude, do, that dude did for an answer to prayer? Or for the sake of just blessing someone in the name of Jesus, or run all out for Christ like that to obey a conviction. So many of you have said, man, I, I feel like God's telling me to read my Bible. Have you run after that conviction the way that dude for, for a drone almost died? So, idols keep us from hearing the truth, keep us from understanding what's most important. They also keep us from seeing truth, seeing what's real. Check this one out.
laugh, but you know you've done it. Question. A question for every single one of us. Has your idol, has your device or your vice, has it caused you to stumble like that? Or, or maybe more specifically, has your addiction, your obsession, has mine to that little thing caused you to stumble in relationships? Your relationship with yourself, with your friends, with God. Because the truth that these people can't see is that the obsession we have with our devices is blinding us to what's right in front of us. I watched two boys at the mall last week on their devices walking to the car, and one of them just got distracted and walked into Macy's on autopilot, went into the door, and then looked around. He was like, where's my friend? Where's my friend? He just totally checked out. He lost his friend because he was so consumed. Both of them, like, you're together. Have a conversation. At least be like, over here. But no, our devices, our vices are blinding us, and we're missing the opportunity to have real life, real conversation, and we're stumbling headlong into trouble. And worse, as I mentioned, you've heard the stories. I, bride and groom on honeymoons are falling off of cliffs for the sake of a selfie. We're running into walls. Cars are hitting other cars on the freeway at 75 miles an hour because we can't stay off of our device long enough to change lanes. We're destroying lives, and it is not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not that important to see that text or that like while you're operating a motor vehicle or while you're operating like life. How are you doing when it comes to being able to see what's right in front of you? Are your eyes open to who you are and who God made you to be and opportunities to be a blessing, or are you checked out? The last thing it said was that idols keep us from speaking truth. Let's see if you can see how that translates in this last clip. saying, but I want to hug him. <laughs> Please don't tell us because I'm sure it wasn't appropriate. Question for us, as silly as that is, as real as that is, is your idol causing you to curse yourself, curse God, to curse life, to curse other people, to, to just freak out and lose your mind the truth that this young man could not see is that his obsession with either that computer or that game or whatever it was that he was doing, it perverted the truth so that he couldn't even say, whatever he was saying, here's my understanding, 
He was cursing life. He was cursing his friends on the other end of that terminal. He was cursing a game. None of that is based on truth. But he couldn't even speak truth. He couldn't even see truth because he had given so much of his heart to that game, that moment, that thing. It, it had the premier place in his heart and his mind, a place reserved only for God, and he's cursing everything that he knows. His mind is gone. His self-control is gone. And you have felt that way because of something like that or a moment like that. I have felt that way because of a moment like that. Wyatt beat me at Mario Kart a couple years ago. I lost my mind. As we consider the damage idolatry does, it is no wonder. These are funny examples. You know in the places of our thoughts and our hearts, it's so much worse. It's so much more dangerous. It's so much more damaging to who we are. As we consider the damage done. It is no wonder why God speaks so strongly about idolatry. Exodus 20, verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. None. Nothing between me and you. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, friends, flee from idolatry. Run from it. We're talking about fasting. God's like, put it down and run the other direction. That's how dangerous it is when something gets that preeminent place in your heart that only I deserve. 1 John 5, friends, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. If your parents took your device away for a month this afternoon, how would you respond? Oh, that's totally fine, mom and dad. Or German like slur. Colossians chapter 3, friends, Kill your earthly impulses, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, grabbing onto whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. And that is a life of idolatry. Is there any idolatry in your life, in my life? It's a question we have to ask today. It's a question we need to ask every day. Last week, we challenged ourselves, this whole student ministry, let's, let's ask the Lord what we should fast from, what we should set down for one month. And we gave examples of like our device or our social media or gaming or TV or whatever. It's really up to you and the Lord. What's taken his place in your heart and your mind? And let's just try one month of setting this thing down and see if life is more real and more rich and more authentic and more healthy, if our thoughts can be like reclaimed to a place of peace and comfort. And just so you know that you're not alone, I'm going to read you a quick snippet from my personal quiet time last Monday after I gave us this charge. Lord, I challenged our students to fast from their idols, to step away for one month from anything hindering their relationship with you, their well-being, and their peace of mind. And we specifically acknowledged our devices as a strong possibility of what's hindering us. How would you have me fast, I asked, and I just sat in silence, and quickly God gave me some real specific things. So here's how I am fasting this month. On the weekend, I will not use my personal device, that's laptop or cell phone for me, between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., and I'm going to focus on my family instead. 
On the weekdays, I will not use my personal devices at home until after 7 p.m. Instead, I will focus on my family. And then two nights a week, Brooke and I will use our evenings for something other than a television show. We will play cards. We will read books together. We'll listen to music. We'll pray. We'll do something real instead of something false. Why is God being so intentional about challenging us right here at the start of the year? Because he has something incredible lined up for us for 2020. He is removing the stain of our sin, our unhealthy thinking, our unhealthy sense of self. He has declared us, this student ministry, light to the nations, but it is up to us to receive that, to embrace that, and then to protect it, to protect what he started, to not fall back into the things that cause us to feel so low in the first place. We're going to respond to what God has been saying this morning. Dwight, take the stage with your friends. I'm going to close with a quote, and then we're going to pray. So go ahead and grab your prayer tags and a pen. I found this quote after my sermon was done. It's from St. Augustine, who lived back in the 300 A.D. period, and he said this, My sin was this, that I looked for pleasure and beauty and truth, not in him, but in myself, his other creatures, And that search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error, to unhealthy thinking, to unhealthy feeling. I want you guys to just take a minute and bow your heads and ask the Lord, what is hindering true joy in my life? Just between you and the Lord right now, ask, what's hindering my relationship with you, with other people? If anything is coming to mind, just write it down. If it's social media, if it's pornography, if it's just your phone, if it's a show, whatever it is, it's between you and the Lord. But just acknowledge it, just own it for a second. Just look at it and don't be afraid. As he is making that clear to you that maybe there's something in you that you're doing with your time that you're looking at that's hurting you, that's giving the devil just a highway into your mind and heart, would you just ask the Lord right now, would you have me lay this down for one month? And if so, what does that look like? Do you set parameters? Do you set limits on your time that you look at your device? Do you delete that app? Do you just put up a post, see in 30 days, and just not go to social media? It's between you and the Lord. But just ask him, what behavior, what thing can I lay down so I can focus more on you, so I can get healthy, so that I can start living a life like the one I see in Scripture and not the one I see being lived all around me? I hope every single one of you are acknowledging one thing at least to lay down 
for Jesus. Let's call it for the month of February. But then again, God's not a God who just asks us to lay things down. He, he invites us to pick other things up, to remove things so that we can be having them replaced. So the last question for the Lord today is, what do you want me to pick up this month? What do you want me to fill my life with instead of that thing? And it could be that he's convicting you and putting it on your heart today. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to read some truth. I want you to read Philippians from the first to the last word once a day. I want you to memorize that life verse. I want you to pray every time you feel tempted to get back into that thing and ask me to give you strength and ask me to break the chain that's tying you to that thing. Whatever it is, just acknowledge it. Just own it. Just write it down. God, I'm giving you this. Give me that. I'm laying this down. Help me pick that up. It's up to you to remember what you've laid down. It's up to you to remember to pick something new up. But you need to know not a single one of you are in this fast alone. Not a single one of you are going to walk through this next month by yourself. I am with you. Your friends to the left and right are with you. What might we look like, feel like, think like a month from now if we can be faithful in making this sacrifice to the Lord? I'll tell you what, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot better than the way we came in here. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to respond. Jesus, thank you for today. And thank you that you love us enough that you don't just leave us the way we come into your presence. You encourage us. You exhort us. You challenge us. You don't tear us down. You lift us up. If any one of us felt impressed, this needs to go. It's not because we're bad. It's because you've got good laid up in store. So help us to make a sacrifice for you today and hold fast to it. And I pray that every single one of us would see immediate fruit, immediate blessings, immediate life in place of this falseness. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.